0: Let's pray together. Father, we come before you today and even reflecting on some of the words that we have already saying today, we imagine that phrase, robed in righteousness, that in Christ that's what we are. We have these robes on right now and no one will take those away. Christ, you have bought these robes for us. You are our righteousness. And so we come this morning with our failings, with our sins. We come in need of you as our Lord and all and all. And we thank you that You didn't leave us on our own. You do not leave us in silence to wonder why all these things are. Why this world exists. Why we exist. Why you have made things the way they are. But we know that you have spoken. And you have spoken the truth. And so we need not to go searching... Throughout the world searching for the truth, trying to find ourselves or find the truths in some hidden place or some cave or in some obscure book, but we know that you have spoken in your word and you have given us your word in the word scripture, the Bible. And as your word says that in these last days you have spoken to us through your Son. And so we come this morning through Christ. And we come this morning looking to Christ. And so may you help us, Lord, to look to him today. May you help us to look not at all the other contrary words all around us, but to go to the truth and to hear it, to let it examine and to Show us our hearts, show us our thoughts and to reveal these things to us even down to the inmost parts of our souls that we would see truly, O oh Lord. May you give us grace in that. May you work today and, and untangle what we have tangled. Help us, Lord, and sanctify us as your children who trust only in Christ and not ourselves. And for those here who may not know the Lord this morning, may you help them to see that all the vain things of this world, they are all false hopes. And we need not, and they need not trust in those, but that they would look to Christ and trust alone in him. And so help us, Father, we pray, as we come to your word here. And now we need to hear from you. And so help us and ready us to hear what you have spoken. Because you have spoken. And it is true. And so help us, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. If you would, go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles. To James chapter 2. We'll be in James chapter 2, verses 1 through 7 this morning, continuing our study, walking through the letter of James. So, when I was younger, we as a family enjoyed going regularly to the Tulsa State Fair, and so that tells you something that we are not from here, (laughs) we're from Oklahoma. Born and raised, but we enjoyed going there rather regularly as a family. Now, we did all sorts of things as we went, as you can imagine. You know, ate all variety of foods because they had all variety of foods. And so we enjoyed those a great deal and enjoyed looking at all the livestock they had there and the cars that they would have on display And of course, we went on all sorts of rides as well, including going into some of their fun houses. So you may not know, maybe you've been in one of these before, but a fun house is a place you can go into at a fair and it has all sorts of things. Sometimes it's scary, sometimes it's not. And they have obstacles or all variety of things that kind of just distort reality. Now, if you've ever been in one, you know that they have these kind of distorting, reflecting mirrors, right? You know what I'm talking about. Even if, even if you haven't been in one, you probably know what I'm talking about. And you probably have seen these, whether in a movie or show or just out and about. Maybe a restaurant's had them. You know, what do these reflective mirrors do? Well, they do all sorts of things, right? They make you shorter, they make you taller and, and stretch you and and so on, or make you wider, and you're like, no, no, don't do that. I don't want to see that side of it. You know? <laughs> and so they make you look all distorted, right? Now, as or entertaining as that is, how odd it would be if that was the only kind of mirrors we had, right? And Anywhere you go, that's the mirror that you have. If you want to see yourself, you go look in one of those. I mean, that would be annoying. <laughs> you, know? you, you wouldn't really know what you look like, or even more how odd it would be if we saw the world that way, right? I mean, that would be confusing, where everything is all bent and stretched and lengthened and widened and just all distorted everywhere. I mean, I would look ridiculous up here right now, like big head and stretched out and like, okay, that guy's weird looking. (laughs) Now, that would be odd. Yet, it isn't all that far from the truth. You know we are born into the world, distorting it. Even worse, we like to distort it. We like it trying to form it into the way that we think it should be. You know? Well, I don't like this? I want it to be this. And so, really, if you look at history, we've been on that pursuit. If you look at the history of philosophy, we've been trying to find a way to say we are God, or we are gods, where we can just determine our own meaning. And we can just distort everything in our path, which is where we are right now in our day. We found a way that ultimately doesn't make sense, but... People are trying it and they're doing just that, right? Going and forming everything and distorting it into the way they like it to be or they want it to be. And so they're distorting God's world. Now, why is that? Why do we do that? And you may be a believer and you do that, (laughs) you do that at home. You know, and someone says, or maybe your spouse is like, "Well, you just got angry." No, I didn't. You know, (laughs) well, you you did, but you just don't want to admit that. You know. So why is that? Why do we do things like that? Our vision is all blurred and distorted because of sin. Because we are sinners. Sin is terrible. It distorts God's world. It twists it, it turns it, and it flips it, and it just takes it all variety of directions, all in rebellion against God and for the very purposes that he made it. And so we do that. You do that. I do that. And so we see this kind of distorting way about us in all sorts of ways, and we could spend all morning talking about those, but we're not going to. (laughs) Because our passage here, it shows us one specific way that we go about distorting things in God's world. So James here, he addresses the way that Partiality or favoritism, how it twists and it distorts and it throws everything, as we'll see, off balance. It muddles our vision, distorting the way that we see things, distorting the way that we specifically even see other people Even to the point that if we are not careful within our churches and within ourselves. That we begin distorting the gospel itself. Which is what partiality tends to do. So in order to see this. And I pray that we see it. Let's read here then. Beginning with verse 1. May the Lord help us see clearly, receive his word holy, and go and live accordingly. James chapter 2 verse 1. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. As we read these words, I doubt as we kind of walked through them here, that many of you thought, well, I know what this is. This is worldliness 101, you know. Now, you may have thought that, but uh, probably not. But regardless, that's what this is. This is worldliness 101. And this is exactly what James is saying is going on. On here that this is worldliness. Now if you remember last week in James chapter one, verses 23, 26 through 27, he discussed two things: worthless religion, and in contrast to that, true religion. Now do you remember how he ended those verses? Well let me, or you can look at your Bible there and see, but he ended with these words in verse 27. Keep oneself unstained from the world. And so here, what James is doing is he is addressing a real problem. But he is giving one manifestation of a worldly stain. And what that worldly stain looks like in the church and this stain of the world of sin if it is not informed by the gospel it leads to a distorted assembly a distorted assembly and this is why you see what you see here this picture of this assembly is all twisted and all distorted like one of those mirrors right it's not the way it should look and partiality that's what it does It distorts because partiality, if you like the word favoritism better, it's the same thing, favoritism or partiality. It looks at others with worldly eyes. That's what it does. That's what it is. Something about the appearance of another person who is made in the image of God, it is at that point... What partiality is doing, it is at that point not informed by the gospel. It is not informed by God's word. It is not informed by the truth. But is defined or informed by something else. And that may be all sorts of things. Some other standard, some other idea, some other notion other than the truth. In other words, something... That has been derived and is a stain that is coming into the church from the world, from sin, and from our own hearts. Now, as with any sin, in practice it can range in all variety of ways. It may be rather mild in form, or it may be something that is absolutely all invasive. Now, in saying that, you don't have to say, well, I'm going to ignore the mild ones. That's not what we're to think here. (laughs) We're not to ignore one or make one focus on the other. We're to take consideration of both and deal with both in our hearts. And this is why James is writing here. He's saying we need to, even we must address this distortion in our hearts and in our lives and in our churches. Because that's what it is. It is a distortion of no small significance. Now in the world, in contrast to the church, but in the world, the devilish fingers of partiality I mean, they have reached far and wide, and we see them all the time. And we certainly see it with the terrible evil of racism. I mean, everyone's pointing fingers everywhere saying, it's your fault, it's your fault. Well, whose fault is it? Well, it's your fault. (laughs) Because you're a sinner, it's sin in your heart. makes you want to hate someone else because of something, anything. Based on appearance. And people throughout all of history have done this. Whatever ethnicity they have done this or race. And so sin and the devil are behind that. And so that is certainly one manifestation that we have seen not only in the world, but certainly as well within the church, right? But that isn't the only manifestation of partiality that we've seen. We could talk about this all day, but partiality, it has many deadly arrows in its quiver. We see its deadly arrows go out in all variety of ways. We see it in some of our stories and you know them very quickly and you know them well. Stories that have shades of partiality within them. One like what? Romeo and Juliet. I mean, partiality. These families unwilling to have anything to do with one another. Or West Side Story. Same thing. <laughs> no way. You're not marrying one of those. And so we see its arrows everywhere. We see its arrows Behind slavery. We see its arrows behind the slave trade. We see its arrows behind six million Jews killed as part of the Nazis' final solution. We even see it as an undergirding current within evolution as well. Survival of the fittest. Are you the fittest? And we even see partiality behind the dreadful practice of abortion. 63 million abortions since Roe versus Wade. And so it's arrows go far. And so if you think that James is dealing with something small here, he's not. (laughs) This has deep... And wide effects that are absolutely distorting and devastating across all of life. And we see it throughout all of history. And so the arrows here are wet with poison. And they can reach right into here and into our assembly. And that brings us then to an ugly instance Of partiality here in James. An ugly instance. Of partiality here. So two men. Enter the assembly. One. Is especially wealthy. And the other. Is very obviously not. (laughs) Now the rich man's clothing. They aren't just nice. I mean they are really nice. Like. Like. Have you seen me today kind of nice? I mean, this literally is saying that this rich person's clothing, they are shiny, they are sparkling, and they are bright. That's literally what it means, fine clothing. So you're going to notice this guy when he comes in. Yet the poor man doesn't have any of that, right? There's nothing about this person that you're necessarily attracted to physically. Based on the appearance, his clothing is dirty, it's filthy, it's soiled, and it's likely coming with everything associated with dirty, filthy, soiled clothing, right? All that stink and stench as well. And so here he comes into the assembly. Now imagine this, a wealthy man comes into our church service. So what would this look like here? Well, what it would look like is that we see him come in, oh my... Well, look at this guy. We want him to become part of our church. And so we start running towards him and welcoming him in with glad arms. Oh, please come on in. No one likes these seats. You can sit right in the back where the nice seats are. And so we show him right to his spot. But then along with him comes this poor man. Oh, man. Why did he have to come in? And he mostly goes unnoticed. But someone finally sees him and says, Oh, well, you can go find a seat over there somewhere. Why don't you go in the corner? Or maybe you can go in the hallway over there. Or just sit on the floor for us. So you see that this is not good. (laughs) Now, before you think that, well, that would never happen, it's ridiculous. It wasn't too long ago that many were doing exactly this within our churches, weren't they? Maybe not exactly like that instance. But I remember a church that I pastored in Kentucky, and it was founded in the 1800s. And historically, it had an upper level there, which was there when I pastored it. And who was that upper level designated for? For slaves? Oh, you go, you go up there. You stay up there, and we'll be down here. Why don't you go up there, away from everyone else? So it was no accident that in 1963, what did Martin Luther King Jr. say? He said, at 11 a.m., is the most segregated hour in the nation. Why did he say that? Was he making things up? No. (laughs) It's because it was happening within churches everywhere. They were doing what James says you're not to do. And so James, he is pointing out here that that is ugly, it is a distortion, and it is worldly. He is making clear that partiality distorts and divides. Partiality distorts and divides. And this is why he asks in verse 4. He asks them, he asks you. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? And the answer is obvious, isn't it? They have. And that's what they are doing and doing this. And that's what comes prior to partiality. And even what informs partiality. What did he say there? What informs partiality? Evil thoughts. These aren't good. And so the outflow of partiality, it does not flow from godliness. It flows from ungodliness. It wasn't Christ that made these kind of distinctions who made them we did now these could be distinctions based on ethnicity or it could be someone who has power in the world someone who has been successful they have money they have wealth or even they have something as simple as tenure tenure they've been here long And so we show partiality. It's ranking people based on standards, philosophies, ideas, contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ and contrary to the word of God. Distorting what God has said and done. You know, I've seen it as well in communities. How contradictory and irrational it all is. You know, I knew a family that had lived in an area for more than 30 years. I mean, they basically lived their life there. They worked there. They had family there. They served there. They were members of the church. Yet, the community, because they weren't born in the community, they still saw them as what? Outsiders. (laughs) Not one of us. Because they weren't born there. And that same mind so easily just can go right into our churches. This is my family's church. I I don't know who you are, but you haven't been here. So guess what? You're on the low totem pole for us. We run this thing. You don't. What's going on there? Partiality. Distinctions the gospel has not made. And for that family, I knew that's exactly what they had experienced even in the churches they were part of. Well, that is not to be. That is partiality. Even the kind of partiality we're seeing here. Now we see it in the world, and it's sad and terrible in the world, but it is not something that we walk in here. It is not something that we as followers of Jesus Christ are to live in and to walk in because it is devilish, it is worldly, it is sinful, and it is contrary to the gospel. When favoritism or partiality rules, appearance or power or culture or something else trumps the gospel. And we're no longer living with our eyes on the gospel, but we're living distorted, dividing, and we have a distorting sort of vision. And so rather than that, you and I, Need to remember something here. Of what James he points out here, we need to remember the Lord of glory. The Lord of glory. And this is where James began. In our verses here, in verse one, he said, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Jesus deserves all glory. He did not deserve to be shamed, hated, and put to death on the cross. Now, just to put this in perspective, listen to the words of Isaiah 48, 11, and what God says about his glory. For my own sake, for my own sake I do it, for how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. And so what do we say of these verses? God's lying? Absolutely not. God didn't give his glory to any other. Because Jesus is God. And so this is no slip of the hand calling Him the Lord of glory. Yet even though He eternally only knew glory, what did He do? He condescended. He took on flesh. He became a servant and died on the cross for sinners. He died for the lowest of low, those who raved and ranted and hated their Maker. And who are those? It's you. It's us, it's me. And so Jesus is our standard for how we love. He is our standard for how we live, how we view one another. Amen. We're to love one another like He loved us, Ephesians 5:1 through2. what great love he showed towards us. And so rather than being known for partiality, with our eyes on Jesus Christ, we're to maintain the spirit of Christ in our assembly. So what does that mean? It means that grace is to fill the air of our churches, of our gatherings here, not partiality, not self righteousness, but grace. Amen. Grace defines how we're to relate to one another. He, Jesus, defines our gathering. Not wealth, not appearance, not power, not tenure, or anything else. Christ is our cultural center. That regardless of who you are, where you come from, however much you make, whatever job you have, Christ defines who you are and how you live and how you serve and how you are to be. That's how we all can come here and gather and every one of us gather around grace. Not around our family, the way we grew up. Not around the way the world views The world and things and life. Our culture is Jesus Christ. So he defines us, not the world. So then, if that is true, how are you and how are all of us relating and treating and talking to and caring for one another? What is the kind of disposition that you have towards your fellow brother or sister sitting next to you? Is it that? Is it gracious? Is Christ the cultural center of your heart? Is the air we breathe, is it grace here at Haven or is it something else? These are the kind of questions we need to ask. Not because I'm asking them. Because James is calling us to ask these kind of questions. Is that the demeanor, the heartbeat of this church, of you? And so we need to ask those questions. And then for the rest of this passage we see that he asks a number of other questions, doesn't he? He asks one rhetorical question after another here. And so his point in all of those, one after another, is to make clear that the kingdom of God is a kingdom for the poor. A kingdom for the poor. The kingdom is for such as these. Now, if we put verse 5 in the form of a statement, it would go like this. God has chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom. So in other words, the kingdom is for such as these. All of us must become spiritually poor to become part of Christ's kingdom. This is part of why the materially poor here, which he is talking about, they're set forth so highly here. They declare what sinners have, regardless of what they have in their bank account or how little they possess, or whatever struggles they're facing in the world, for them, what is their portion in this life? Their portion is God. That's why they're an example for us. Because we need that. We need to look at their example and say, well, regardless of where I am on that like spectrum, that's the way I'm to live. Where God is my portion. And so in other words, in the kingdom of God... The poor are not poor. So remember James' words, his earlier words from chapter 1, verse 9 through 11. He said there, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. You need to get poor. You need to be humble. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. All that stuff won't last where well, the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers with the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. And so all of us must deny ourselves. We must live a cross-centered life, a self-denying life, and we must become poor. I'm not saying like you need to like sell all you have and become physically poor, I'm saying in your demeanor, in your heart you are to be Christ centered, self-denying you're not thinking of yourself as anything other than Christ and defined by Christ and so this is what we're to do when we come to faith in Christ and that's what we do when we come to faith in Christ what do you do? you admit that you're poor whether you have A lot or you have nothing. You admit before God, I am a sinner. Woe is me. And so that's what we do. And so we learn from the material or the poor believer here. The materially poor believer here. (laughs) The materially poor believer often knows this, trusting of God, depending on Him, experientially in their day-to-day life. Now, let me clarify here. This isn't saying that the poor, like anybody who's poor, are saved automatically. That's not what this is saying. It's not even close to that. It's saying the believing poor, those who know Jesus Christ in this world, they're often especially rich in faith. They've learned what trusting God looks like because they depend on Him day after day for the little things. I don't have enough money this week to get gas. God, please provide. You know, I mean, they're looking to Him for anything. I need food this month. I ask that You would help me, Lord. I need to pay the bills. Please help me. I know you'll help me. I trust you. They're regularly doing that. Week after week. Month after month. And that's what we saw, right? We saw an example of this in what Tyler read a moment ago. In Mark chapter 12, verse 41 through 44. What did she do? What did the poor widow do? She gave everything. All she had to live on. That's incredible. (laughs) I mean, how many of you would do that? How many of us would do that? But why did she do that? Because she's looking to God to provide. The rich in faith look forward to the kingdom to come because this isn't their home. That money in their bank account's not theirs. It's God's. He's given it all to them. They recognize where their true home is. How much we have to learn. They may not have a nice car or a large house and the various luxuries of this world but they have the Lord and they love him and they're following him and they are trusting him and so here we see them lifted up as what you and I are to be whether you're rich or you're poor that's to be our heart Christ is our Life, He is our portion, not your stuff. And so if persecution comes, you could lose your job. And you could lose all the things you have. And if you're not willing to ask this question now, it will be right before you then. Who is your portion? Where is your home? Where is your kingdom? Friends, it's not here. It's not America. It's not Rome. It's with our Lord and His kingdom. And so the poor, they aren't poor at all, are they? <laughs> They have a kingdom that is far greater than anything this world may give or take away from them. You can't do anything to these people. I mean, they're looking to God. Take it away. (laughs) So what? If I die, I'm going to go be with Him. I mean, what are you going to do with that guy, that person? Well, that's how you are to be. Yet in contrast to that, and the poor they are not poor, well the rich, they are not rich. So James, he asks two more rhetorical questions here, both again, as rhetorical questions do, or they give, they have obvious answers. And so yes, the unbelieving rich are the ones who oppress you believers, and drag you into court. Yes. The rich are the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called. The unbelieving rich are not rich. They may have all that stuff, but if you could see them spiritually, oh, it would be horrifying. They're not in a good place. And what they were doing here is they were oppressing and they were persecuting and they were suppressing the believers there and even blaspheming the honorable name of Jesus Christ. And that's what they were doing in James's day. And so James asks here, Do you really want to side with those people? Is that really a good thing for you, church? You know, one commentator said... This on these verses, this means that they are siding with the very class which, both historically and at present, persecutes the impoverished believer. They have made the church into a tool for persecution. They have, in effect, sided with the devil against God. And so we are right to ask who are we? honoring in our churches? Are we honoring Christ and loving all who know him? So as we consider in these words, we need to consider ourselves and ask first, are you taking advantage of others? Are you taking advantage of others? Are you dishonoring the poor man? And if you're saying, well, I don't know a lot of poor people, well, who maybe are you dishonoring? Who are you showing partiality towards? Partiality contradicts the gospel. We need to remember what Paul, he said in Galatians. Galatians 3, 28, he said, There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Amen. That's what fellow believers, are to look like to you. Fellow brothers and sisters, they are your family more than your blood family is. Because some of your blood family, you will not have, they will not be part of the kingdom. Now, we ought to pray for them. We ought to grieve for them. We ought to fast that God would lead them to faith in Jesus Christ. But friends, the reality is many of our family members will not be with us. Blood family members. But who will be there? If you know Christ, you will be there. There is your brother. There is your sister. So how are you treating your brother and your sister? Are you treating them like your family? Because that's what you'll do as a follower of Christ. Because they are your family. (laughs) So ask, are you taking advantage of others? And also ask, are you living a life that blasphemes the gospel? Are you living by some other name? Does everyone have to serve you? Or are you serving them? Or who are you serving? You know, how often I've heard of waiters and waitresses decry that time following what? This. (laughs) Following our church services. They know what sort of people are coming their way. Well, what if instead, rather than blaspheming the name of Christ before the world, what if instead they saw one after another, groups, families, individuals, you're coming to the restaurant, yes, but who are you serving? You're not serving this. (laughs) You're serving Jesus Christ. And so you come to those restaurants or places ready to serve. People going out from the services ready to share Christ with the world. People who are poor, saved by a merciful Savior. Gladly going and telling everyone about him. And so may we see people the way God sees them. May we not go out with a distorted mirror this morning, all twisted and tall or long or wide. Not a distorted vision, but may we see clearly this morning. And May Christ be before our eyes church for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich so in view of such a savior may our view not be distorted this morning may we cast off Partiality, and may we in our assembly display a living faith in our living Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come, we recognize these words were for us here this morning for the saints for those who have put their faith in Christ. And so help us, Lord, to take up your word this morning and consider ourselves not forgetting James' words a moment ago, that we would not just be hearers of the word only, but doers. May we consider ourselves. May we consider what is our cultural center at Haven Baptist Church, What is the air that we breathe here and is it grace or is it something else? Who are we honoring? What are we doing? How are we serving? Who are we imaging to one another and to the world? We pray for your help, Lord, this morning because we recognize our failures. We recognize our sins, which are great and have been great. We pray you would sanctify your church this morning. We pray that you would save sinners this morning. You would open the eyes of the blind as they have looked and they are looking out on the world and distorting it. They are rebelling against you. May you open their eyes to see the glory of the Lord of glory and to believe this morning and be saved. That they would put their faith in Christ. That as we sing, we would examine ourselves asking these questions, examining our hearts. May you do your work, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.